Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, Paul Gray here. Thanks so much for being with me again today. Have you ever thought about what God's passion is? We talk about the passion of Christ in Christianese. There are plays called that. There's the passion translation. But have you ever really thought about what God's passion is? Many times with other people, with human beings, I can tell or at least get a pretty good idea what their passion is by by looking at their calendar and their checkbook, what they spend their time and their money on. I have a a good friend, a musician friend, who we were getting ready to go out to dinner one time, or we actually were out to dinner, and I ordered a drink, and he said, well, nothing for me. And I said, you feeling okay? And he said, yeah, I feel fine. He said, I I quit drinking. I said, oh, really? What what prompted that? Health reasons? And he said, no, quicken. I said, said, what, quicken? And he said, yeah, you know the bookkeeping deal, quicken. We started doing our finances on quicken, and realized we were spending $700 a month at the liquor store. So <laughs> we quit. Well, that's as good a reason as any, I guess. Where you spend your time and your money, the most of it, is arguably what you're most passionate about. Well, what is God's passion? Jesus showed us in regard to time and money. First of all, Jesus explained some things to Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was one of the religious rulers, one of the 70 or 72 people in the the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling organization. It was sort of like the House and the Senate and the Supreme Court, all in one deal in Jesus' day. And he liked what Jesus had to say and his miracles and stuff, but none of the other people in the Sanhedrin did, and so he didn't want to go public with it. So he came to see Jesus one night, and Jesus started explaining things to him. This is in John three sixteen and 17. Jesus here is speaking. He says, here is the way God loved the world. And the Greek word for world there is cosmos, which means everything and everyone. Jesus said, God gave his only unique son as a gift. So now everyone believes in him and never perishes, but he experiences eternal life. Now, if you thought that sounded a little differently than maybe what you memorized in Sunday school, it does. The Greek there says, everyone believes, never perishes, eternal life. It doesn't say whosoever believes. All right, go on. Verse 17, Jesus said, God didn't send the Son, speaking of himself, into the world to judge and condemn the world, but so that people would never perish, but have eternal life. He sent Jesus to be the savior of the world and rescue it. God's passion is loving us, saving us, rescuing us, including that we never perish and experience eternal life. 
And that's all because of his love. His passion is his love. Then the night before Jesus died, he was praying out loud to the Father for the disciples and whoever else was there for their benefit so they could hear what he was praying. And John, of course, remembered that, wrote it down, and captured it in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 to 17. Here's what he said in John 17, 3. Jesus says, this is what eternal life is. This is what it means. It means to know, to perceive, to recognize, to become acquainted with, and to understand intimately you, Father, the only true and real God, and likewise to know me, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, whom you have sent. See, according to God's calendar, according to God the Father's calendar, his passion is both for us not to perish, but to have abundant life, which only happens as we know and experience God, the Father, in Jesus 24-7. All right, how about Jesus' checkbook? Matthew thirteen forty four. Jesus said, heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered there was hidden treasure in a field. Upon finding it, he hid it again. Because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have the treasure. Jesus said, that's what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus is the kingdom of God. He is in all and for all and with all and through all. He came to seek and save that which was lost, our forgotten identity. He found us and he sold all that he possessed, his very life, to buy us. He opened the divine checkbook and wrote a check for the entire amount and spent it on us. You look at Jesus' checkbook, what he's passionate about is us. Now, how about his time? Again, the night before he died, John 14, 20, he said, there's going to come a day, and I believe that day came on Pentecost, but and it comes whenever we come to that day of awareness ourselves. There's going to be a day when you know that Jesus said, I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you, and we're in you. John 14, 2 to 3, he says, In my Father's house there are many dwelling places, many homes. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, and when I go and make ready a place for you, I will come back again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And I believe that happened when Jesus died and crucified, rose again. We all rose with him to new life in Christ. And God the Father seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, where we are with him 24-7. Back to John three seventeen, Jesus said, God didn't send his son into the world to judge and condemn the world, but to be its savior and rescue it. The message says it this way. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. No, he came to help put the world right again. All right, we've looked at Papa and Jesus about what their calendar and their checkbook, what it says about their passion. What about the Holy Spirit? Of course, they're one. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached his first sermon. There were thousands of people there. 3,000 people got it and came to the realization that Christ was in them already at that time. And during that part of that sermon, Peter quoted Joel, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. This is in Acts chapter 2. Joel was prophesying. He was speaking for God. 
few hundred years before Jesus came. He says, this is what I will do in the last days. I will pour out my spirit on everybody, not just the favored, not just the Christians, not just the elect, on everybody. That's what it says. And cause your sons and daughters to prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will experience dreams from God. The Holy Spirit will come on all my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. I will reveal startling signs and wonders in the sky above and mighty miracles on the earth below. Going back to the night before he died, Jesus said in John 16, 7, he's telling us what was going to happen that I just mentioned there. He said, I'm telling you nothing but the truth now. It's profitable and good and expedient and advantageous for you disciples and my followers that I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the comforter, counselor, helper, advocate, intercessor, strengthener, uh, strengthener, the standby, the friend. The Holy Spirit will come into you, into close fellowship with you. Right? The Holy Spirit, obviously, according to his calendar or her calendar, passion is us being with us 24-7. And of course, Paul wrote in Colossians 1.27, living within you is the Christ, the Holy Spirit of Christ, who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everybody to know it. All right. I think we've established that Papa Jesus and the Holy Spirit, whom I call grace, their passion is us, to love us, for us to be safe with them. That's where they spend all their time. And it costs them all they have to get there. Now, I'm not going to give you verses for all of this, but you know God is love. That's who God is. That's God's essence. That's God's nature. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, they're all love. Their passion is love, especially starting out with loving each other. That's why the understanding of the Trinity is all important. Papa, Jesus, Holy Spirit, grace existed before they created anything And they existed in this divine triune circle dance of love. God is love. That's their nature. That's their essence. They are love. They are the source, the never depleted fountain of ever flowing love and that love that continually blesses and cleanses and purifies and heals and empowers and energizes and manifests and manifests unconditional love and grace and joy and peace and goodness and compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience, divine power, everything in us continually. Now, having all of that as the big picture, I've set the stage now for us to spend some time today, and I'm talking to myself here too, and every day thinking about our five senses, seeing, touching, tasting, feeling, smelling, hearing, from a spiritual standpoint in regard to God's passion spiritually, what does God's passion look like? Spiritually, what does God's passion sound like? Spiritually, what does God's passion feel like? Spiritually, what does God's passion taste like? Spiritually, what does God's passion smell like? Now, this is a mystical experience to grasp this. But we're all mystics. Mystics simply means people hear from God personally. So God's been showing me to take time and imagine and visualize what 
it's like from a five senses standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, being in the presence of God. What is his passion like? I want to start with seeing the sense of sight. What does Jesus look like when Jesus looks at you? I'm going to give you a clue back to John 3, 17. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. No, he came to help us to put the world right again. So don't give me a, a theological answer. I want you to share your actual experiences. I want you to, if you haven't yet, to have those experiences and then share them with other people. You know Jesus intimately and personally. He wants you to know him intimately and personally. So what does he look like? What do you see when he looks at you? I can tell you from my experience, he's smiling, he's happy, he's pleased, he's joyful, he's got a twinkle in his eye, he enjoys being in my presence. Now, if I'm sad because of, you know, something that happened, you know, he's sad with me, he comforts me, but I never see a stern face. I never see him looking angry. I never see him upset with me or bummed with me. Never. Now, here's the question. Do you see God the Father looking at you the same way? Most of us were taught, unfortunately, those of us who have a religious background, we were taught growing up that, well, yes, God... Jesus, he, you know, he's good and he loves you, but oh no, God the Father, he's just, he's frowning all the time. No, he's not. Spend time with him and let him show you how he's looking at you. All right, again, I, I'm not looking for a, a textbook theological answer here, and it's going to be different with all of us. But think about your experience, knowing Jesus intimately and personally. What does Jesus sound like? What do you hear when he talks to you? Now, I'm not saying, does he have a high voice or a low voice or a real low voice? No, I'm not. I'm saying, what's his tone of voice? What's his tone of voice when you hear him speaking to you? With me, it's loving. It's fun. It's playful. I can guarantee you, God's voice is never condemning or sarcastic. It's never shaming. I mean, Jesus tells us that. Now, what does it feel like when Jesus touches you, when God touches you? What does the touch of God feel like to you? This morning, when I'm recording this, God just started out our intentional time together. I mean, I'm always together with him, always talking to him, but I have some intentional time and uh, with no other sound or anything else going on. And I just sensed him wanting me to get this and to write it down. He said, Paul, being with us is like floating effortlessly in the ocean, like on a Caribbean island in a little cove here, a pristine beach. You go out into the ocean. The water is crystal clear. The sky is blue. You get out far enough that it's over your head. You have to swim. And then you start floating underwater, and we supernaturally give you air to keep you alive. So you can just float underwater as long as you want. You're immersed in, you're surrounded by, you're all encompassed 
buying in our pure love and light and joy and peace, grace and goodness. You're floating in it. It's all around you, above you and below you and to your right and to your left and in front of you and behind you. You can feel it. You can taste it. You can touch it. You feel it everywhere. If you need warming, it's warm to you. If it's blistering hot outside, you need to cool down. It's refreshingly cool. It's cleansing. It's rejuvenating. It's exquisite. It's just beautiful. You can move in it, but you can't control it. You can feel it, but you can't control it. You can't reject it. You can't send it away. You can't stop it. You can't get rid of it. It's relentless love, just pure love all around you. There may be storms happening up above the surface, but not where we are. We are in the water all around you. All is well and all is good. That's what it feels like. And I just took some time and experienced that feeling. Now, I've been I've been underwater. I've been in the ocean. I've been in places like that. But I never got that feeling before. But we can go there in our mind's eye, in our spirit, in our heart, in the presence of our council of four, Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, and us, and literally feel that and experience that. And it's wonderful. What is the experience of God? What does God's passion taste like? Well, many of you know Psalm 34, 8. Taste and see that the Lord our God is good. The passion says, drink deeply of the pleasures of this God. Experience for yourself the joyous mercies he gives to all who turn to hide themselves in him. In uh, Ephesians 5, 18, the apostle says, don't drink too much wine. That cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God, huge drafts of Him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God, the Father, in the name of our Master, Jesus Christ. The mirror says, indulge in spiritual intoxication. Just taste and see that God is good. Now, that's a mystical, spiritual thing. We can't taste God in our five natural senses, but we can spiritually. And then smell. Second Corinthians 2.15, Paul says, we are a fragrance to God among those who are being saved and among those who are being perishing. We are a sweet-smelling aroma to others who know who we are in Christ and also to other people we're around who don't yet know that. And that smell is attractive to them. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And in Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Uh, God is in all and through all, and for all. God is exactly what we need in any given moment. We experience God mystically through our 
five spiritual senses and naturally through our five natural senses. And it's all good. Hey, thank you all for being with me today. Hope this has been encouraging for you. Certainly has been for me. I hope you'll take these things that we talked about and and do them yourselves in your mystical time with Papa and Jesus and Grace. Those of you who know me personally, who you know have my phone number, my email, you can personal message me or whatever, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear how you're doing. I'd love to hear what God's doing in your life. Those of you who don't know me, I'd love to get to know you. Uh, so you can leave a comment on this video on whatever form that you're watching it and uh, give me a way to get in touch, and, and I'd love to get to know you better. Thanks, everybody. Love you all. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.